Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. How would Alfred deal with these two visitors to Gotham from Ireland? Well, I mean, first of all, how did you get to the ghoul? And, uh, and secondly, I, I'd grasp you firmly by the elbow, and I'd walk you very smartly to the gates, and I might even show you my commando knife. Uh, <laughs> you could set the dogs on us as well. Yeah, well, no, I don't need dogs, mate. Hello and welcome back to Gotham TV Podcast. This is episode 37 of Gotham TV Podcast, the show dedicated to the TV show Gotham. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, and I'm one of your other hosts, John. It feels like ages since we spoke. Well, you know, you don't get an episode of Gotham for three months and then all of a sudden you get two in one night. Incredible. Just like buses <laughs> over here, really. Exactly, exactly. So, listeners, I uh, don't know how you're listening to these podcasts. We uh, we have now been recording uh, for an entire day uh, because two episodes of Gotham were released last night in the UK and Ireland on uh, March 16th. We are spending our St. Patrick's Day with a couple of Guinnesses and, uh, and chatting about two great episodes of, uh, of Gotham. So, you may have just listened to, uh, to one episode and listened to this one directly after it, but could be a week apart for you, but uh, but we're here podcasting for for lots of fun. And like buses, I think I don't have a Guinness in maybe 12 months, <laughs> and then all of a sudden four of them come along at once on St. Patrick's Day. Um, I hope those Guinnesses aren't going to affect your uh, your coverage tonight. I hope not. No? Um, if you hear a big thud, I may have fallen off my, my seat. Yeah, after that episode, I, I certainly almost fell off my seat. Well, I'm gasping for a bit like poor Liza was, actually. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just after that episode, um, wow, that was um, a really interesting and great turnaround of the episode. Like, yeah. it really was a, an episode of two halves, really. Um, mm-hmm. But brilliant. Loved it. And I'll mention a bit more about that, because that was one of my points, yeah. I think, that I would have. All right, so let's crack into the review of this week's episode, What the Little Bird Told Him. Yeah, so what the little world told him is this episode. This is written by Ben Edlund, who uh, we love uh, his writing. He wrote The Spirit of the Goat for, uh, yeah. for this season of Gotham. Uh, he's also was one of the main writers on uh, Supernatural. He wrote the TV show The Tick, which is a great animated show. Go check that one out if you haven't had the chance. And he's also one of the main writers from Angel, which is one of my absolute pleasure of a show to watch. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, we should have we should have known that this episode was going to really reach for the skies mm-hmm. um, because of Ben Edlund being yeah. involved. Yeah, really no, good. Really good. Uh, it's directed by Eagle Eggleson, who hasn't uh, directed any episodes of Gotham before. This is his first time on there, and I think the, I think I'll talk about it anyway. That's uh, it's some of my favorite stuff is in this episode so far. So uh, let's crack into it, John. Do you want to give us the synopsis for the episode? Sure, absolutely. What the little bird told him. In an attempt to regain his job at the GCPD, Jim Gordon seeks to apprehend Jack Gruber, who, having broken out of Arkham Asylum, and now known in the press as the Electrocutioner, is out for revenge on his so-called friends, who he believes betrayed him, leading to his former arrest 
and incarceration. One of his prime targets is Sal Moroni. Surviving an attack by Gruber, Moroni and Oswald, who was also present, are escorted to the GCPD for protection, where in his delusional state, Oswald, who was electrocuted and shocked by Jack Gruber, reveals a closer-than-expected connection to the Don Falcone, to Moroni's suspicions. Mm -hmm. As Jack the Electrocutioner Gruber attempts to finish off Moroni in the GCPD, we find that a glass of water, coupled to insulated galoshes, is truly mightier than an unearthed electrical contraption strapped to your person. As Jim disarms Gruber and apprehends him. At the same time, as all the commotion surrounding the Arkham breakout from the previous episode takes place, Fish Mooney both sees and seizes her opportunity to usurp and take over the Falcone crime family as she pretends to kidnap Liza, holding her to ransom. In exchange, Falcone must stand down and leave Gotham for good. However, Fish's conniving and plans are brought to a brutal end as a little dirty birdie informs Falcone that Fish is behind the plot. As Falcone strangles the breath from Liza for her betrayal of his trust and affection, he reveals the penguin to Fish, capturing her along with her loyal Butch Gilzean. Finally, despite all the violence, new romance appears to be blossoming between Jim, wearing his OC white vest, <laughs> and Dr. Leslie Tompkins, as they embrace and kiss in the GCPD locker room. Very good. Loved your uh, loved your misery reference there as well. The little dirty bird. Yeah, that. little dirty birdie. <laughs> well done. Uh, well, I kick off. We're we're on to our top five for this week's episode. Will I kick off uh, my my number one? Absolutely. Yeah. What have you got to say? <laughs> All right. Well, my first one is uh, probably we start with the start. Uh, the intro of this episode is fantastic. Uh, this is what I was speaking about earlier on. Eagle Eggleston obviously directed the opening scene for this episode, which is directly linked to last week's episode, the return of Hans Gruber. Um, the return of Gruber, uh, essentially back into the city to the strains of God's Gonna Cut You Down by um, Johnny Cash. Uh, we played the song at the beginning. The Moby version of the song is the one I know probably better, but the Johnny Cash version is fantastic and really strikes a mood for the city of a, you know, almost a Western, essentially, as, uh, as Gruber walks in to the uh, floating newspaper overhead um, talking about the breakout from, from Arkham. He walks in like a gunslinger wearing his electrocutioner outfit. Uh, I think it's a fantastic opening uh, to the episode, probably one of the best we've seen so far, in, to my mind. Yeah, it's really atmospheric. It really sets up, uh, as you say, the mood of the city. Again, it kind of uh, back-references what Danny Cannon has said about this whole idea of it being slightly like the Wild West, those old-fashioned cowboy movies where, right. you know, you've got Jack Gruber strolling uh, as bold as brass um, to um, to get revenge on one of his former friends, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in broad daylight, heavily made up with his electrocutioner contraption on him, followed by Aaron, his inmate who he's got under his own control from his electroshock therapy. Yeah. So it's it's a great kind of atmospheric sort of foreboding kind of um, of an opening, really. Yeah. As you say, what's something that we haven't really seen before? Yeah, I can't, I can't think of another episode that opened with this kind of with this kind of opening. You know, it's quite interesting that we saw the episodes back to back uh, in the UK. It, it it felt like it was a really good mechanism that they could use for two ep an episode a couple of weeks apart or an episode a week apart, even just kind of the quick recap. 
by the floating newspaper of the fact that there has been a breakout in Arkham and that this guy has now been released on the public. Um, really good uh, tool. They should have probably used uh, used it in where there's been a three month gap, you know. Um, but for us, it's a really it, it was it was quite interesting to see it that way. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my number one. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting because I think the atmosphere of Gotham is one of the, you know the tone and everything about it is is one of its really really strong points for me as well. So that was just added extra sort of emotional depth to it. I think. Yeah, I think what I'm saying definitely is bring back Eagle Eagleson for another uh, another episode in the future. Yeah, he's been that's a that's a really good one. Uh, John, what's your first point about this tonight's episode? For me, it is Edward Nigma. Mm. Um, I loved all the interaction and the exchanges that Enigma had in this episode. I thought they were really sort of personal to him. They had some of the really good lines. We got a riddle, um, and and one that sort of meant something to his sort of advances on um, Christina Kringle. Yeah. Um, I love those two together. Yeah, they're really, really good. Um, <laughs> or not together, actually. It's it's a, it's a fun interplay between the two. As you notice from my galoshes, I just liked how he, the tone and 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 how he sort of intonates some of the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Michael Smith as Ed Nigma, I think, um, and I love the way he kind of did that with galoshes. And um, but there were there were three things from. Uh, the exchanges with Ed Nigma that I really liked, and, and one was kind of the the muffin cupcake that he gave to Ms. Kringle, mm. um, and uh, I like I loved her response to him, sort of proudly giving her this sort of um, this sweet cupcake that's supposed to kind of win her affection and her heart, and she goes. It's menacing, weird, and inedible, <laughs> um, which is a real put down for the poor guy. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's it's a muffin cupcake with a live gun round, a bullet in 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 the top of it. Uh-huh. Um, I hope she didn't bite into it. And, yeah, exactly, it just explode, and he just says it's a riddle. Um, and I I love this. It's um, it's the cupcake is sweet and the bullet is deadly. A beautiful woman is a deadly thing. And we have that exchange here. Miss Kringle. I believe you left this on my desk. It's a riddle. It's a cupcake with a live bullet sticking out of it. It's a riddle. It's menacing and weird and inedible. Thank you for the files, Miss Kringle. It's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That uh, That's a really good scene. Yeah, it's really good. The whole thing is kind of weird. It's slightly, like, creepy. Mm. You know, you kind of think, well, if someone did that to me in work, I would be... I would be a bit freaked out by this. So, yeah. to me, it was a really great exchange. Yeah, but Chelsea Speck is just fantastic in this scene. She's uh, she's so good. She's you know she's trying not to let him down too badly because I think as as Irene had kind of said on our on our our European round table, uh, the big problem with Edward Nigma is that you may have worked with a person like this in the past who tries his best to be so nice to you. And could snap at any second and kill you, <laughs> you know. And I think Chelsea Spack playing the character of, of uh, Christine Kringle tends to kind of treat him with kid gloves, knows that there's a possibility that he could snap at any second, and uh, takes his advances and tries to spurn them without making him go crazy. Uh, which I think she's doing a great job. Exactly, and I think um, 
it's also just a, a nice continuation, a nice slow burn of mm. their previous meeting in the record room where, you know, he's he tries to reorganize her entire filing system. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> But that's one of the things that I really like in, in Gotham are these these kind of more paced and drawn out elements to the show, whether that be these kind of interchanges um, and exchanges between Ed Nigma and uh, Christine Kringle, or indeed the the, the more serialized um, parts of of the story to do with the mobsters and, and pe- the Penguin Rising. And I'm a, I'm a right in saying that that exchange was in the Spirit of the Goat episode. Uh, so that's Ben Ad- Ben Edlund's last yeah. episode. Yeah. So. I kind of think he obviously wants to use these characters, and he tends he's obviously using them a lot better than other people have used Ed Nigma in the past. So uh, let's hope we see more of the two of them. And then the second exchange that I, I really like is where he kind of lifts up these really sort of geeky shoes and and wellies and talks about department galoshes and being standard wellies. issue. Yes, wellies, American listeners, wellies. Yeah, yeah, wellies. Yeah, um, and and. Um, just the way he he holds them up because everyone's getting fried through the electrocutioner. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really I just love the way he delivers the lines of holding up these galoshes. And then it's also Harvey Bullock's response to this, and we have that here. The electrocutioner, cute. I love the name. It's catchy. Has drama. The electrocutioner. Speaking of which, given the general mode of attack, may I suggest? You both wear your department-issue galoshes while you're out in the field. Galoshes? In the event of electrical misadventure, your footwear should be insulated. No, Mom, I'm not going to wear my rubbers on the case. Do you think there's a double meaning in that, John? I think there may be. (laughs) Um, But I laughed my head off (laughs) at that. I thought it was just a really good comedic part of the show, and I loved the exchange between Harvey and Ed Nigma, because again, that's another thing that this is developing further, is just this exchange where, you know, Harvey generally puts him down, you have the one um, you have the one episode where Harvey actually asks him for his opinion, I think it's towards the end of the first ten episodes mm. but again here, there's an exchange that's not a put down and it's just sort of a flippant remark back and I, I kind of I love that exchange. I think it's really good. And then finally, uh, for me, it's a very minor thing that I really liked. Was I loved Ed Nigma on the overhead projector, uh, putting the acetate uh, on on top. I think it was. Whilst the the rest of the GCPD there, I think he's puts up an image of um, Jack Gruber mm-hmm. um, as you know the the wanted man, the wanted criminal. And he's going around electrocuting people. It just reminds me, took me back to university back in the day where mm-hmm. it was all still done on overhead projectors and acetate. And I kind of like that touch. It's that whole timeless element to, to the show mm. that on the one hand, you know, there's a phone or there's a mobile, but then there's overhead projectors. Yeah, you love but, overhead projectors. Yeah, you? I used to love <laughs> overhead projectors. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Ed Nigman. This episode is so well realized. Again, he's you know he's a character that I, I keep saying that I didn't that I kind of disliked him in the first couple episodes, but he grew on me so quickly that I probably should stop saying that. Most people probably haven't heard my opinion of of what he was like in the first couple episodes. Um, I definitely enjoy uh, enjoy Ed. Um, yeah, really good in this episode. 
So then, um, Derek, what's your second point? Um, speaking of characters I really loved in the episode, my second point for this one is Victor Zaz and mm, the return yeah. of Anthony Carrigan. I love him in this role. I really do. I think he's he was so creepy the first time we saw him. Um, the the dent he made on Barbara Keane's life after after kidnapping her uh, was fantastic. The the dent he made on Jim Gordon's life when he tried to when he tried to kill him. Um, and was saved by the MCU just about. Yeah, in the Penguin's umbrella. That's yeah. it, yeah. I, I love him, and having him back here pleading with Falcone to not leave yeah. the city and not leave him alone in the city, the way it's delivered is fantastic. He starts it off with the with please, which was the way he convinced all the uh, all the GCPD to leave um, to leave the precinct in the last episode he was in. He starts it off with the same intonation to it. But then the line itself turns into an absolute plea. Please don't leave me alone in this city. Essentially, without your guidance, I don't know what I'll become. It was the read I took from it, which is fantastic for Victor Zaz. If you've read the comic books, uh, it'll be no spoiler to you. If you haven't, um, essentially, Victor Zaz turns into a maniac who just goes out and kills people for the fun of it. And um, what Anthony Carrigan does with him here sounds like he's been kept on a leash by Falcone. And he essentially knows this. He knows that without Falcone's guidance and without Falcone's backup, he could turn into that crazy, crazy guy who goes around and just slaughters innocents uh, all the time. Um, it it is essentially comes down to him wanting to slaughter the opposition on behalf of of Falcone. Um, he'll do anything to keep Falcone there. But I think it's a fantastic scene and fantastic moments in there with uh, with Anthony Carrigan again. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um... I'm completely with you on all of that. I think he is... First of all, I think Anthony Carrigan is great in the role of Victor Zaz. I think that whole pleading... Yeah, it was just like... It was almost like a child pleading with their parent Mm. that they wanted to do something or don't leave me alone here. Maybe, you know, the, the monster underneath the bed may get me, but in this instance, the monster's in his head because mm. if he doesn't um, have an outlet for his, I suppose, psychotic and violent tendencies, mm-hmm. which is, in this case, shooting down uh, and uh, killing Maroney's gang yep. and the Falcone competitors, he has to find an outlet for some somehow for that. So what's he going to do? To, to him, it's almost like this is a honourable way of doing what he probably feels he's born to do mm-hmm. um, as Victor Zaz, you know. So Slightly honourable, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, do you know what I mean? Or oh, there's honour in the purpose, yeah. I suppose. So in his mind, I hasten to add. So yeah. it's... Uh, I, I like that. I love that kind of exchange as you've described. I thought, yeah, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, really, I uh, really love him, and I hope hope we see more of Victor Zaz. I get the feeling by the end of this episode, we're going to see a lot more of him uh, in the next couple of weeks. I hope so. I, I I think it's one of the characters that has been brought in, which I think is really strong for the show, mm-hmm. and I I I love um, every time Victor Zaz is on the screen, and that is in many ways down to how the writers write for him. His interaction as well with um Falcone, John Doman, um, you know, they're two really strong characters written really well. And again, it's down to the fact that Victor Zaz is being played really well. Uh, and I love him in the role by Anthony Carrigan. Yeah. Big time. Uh, um, what's your point number three, John? Well I think that really leads me into John Doman actually. Mm. Um I've been 
a fan of John Doman since The Wire, so I have to put that out there um, yeah. as the kind of sleazy stats cop, really. Um, yeah. You know, pretty obnoxious statistics cop who was also um, ended up you know, in a gay bar. So, um, <laughs> have you ever have you ever heard him talk about that? He was being interviewed where <laughs> where he essentially said they just put that scene in and and then had no explanation around it. He still doesn't know whether or not his character was gay or whether he was just in a wrong bar or you know he has no idea himself as to, as to what the meaning of that that piece of the episode was. I always thought it was a great little touch, though. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I've but back to Gotham. <laughs> but I've really really enjoyed um, John Doman in Gotham. I think from episode one where he has that, to me, one of the pivotal talks with Jim Gordon in episode one about, you know, the chaos coming, that you need organized crime Mm. and the the rule of law, that they're kind of symbiotic and work together in a sense. Not what everyone wants to hear, of course, but I, I just think he delivers everything with absolute force. And in this episode, I think, again, he has that. We've already talked, you know, his his um, exchange um, and dialogue with Victor Zaz, with Anthony Carrigan. Mm. But, he, you know, he also he has this tender moment with um, holding a flower, saying, I would actually quite like to live in the country to, you know, after Liza has been kidnapped by, to him, an unknown uh, person. Yeah. He's kind of going, well, I don't want her to die. Um, you know, it's quite touching. It's quite, um, it's quite understated and quietly played. Um, and he's just playing with a flower um, in his hands after having the conversation mm-hmm. with, or during the conversation with Victor Zaz, I should say. And he, you know, just says, "I would quite like to get away from all of this and settle down with her and live in the country, away from all of this." Yeah. And that's where you get the plea from Anthony Karen, and you go from that to. The whole situation in Fish Mooney's bar, yeah, um, where he becomes the Don. I mean, you see why he's the Don, and he even makes reference to the fact that you know, I feel alive, and this is after, yeah, I think he strangled Liza, which yeah. obviously is huge, huge point, completely unexpected for me. I wasn't expecting that. I was maybe expecting a bullet to go into and a gun to go off i wasn't expecting for it to be so personal which is what a strangle is it's almost like a knifing you have to get up close and dirty to do that kind Mm. of thing i suppose so for me this was like to to move from that kind of understated quietness to this brutal personal strangling of 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 a woman um who has betrayed him and then to come out from that almost slightly reborn saying, I feel alive. I've never felt more alive. You know, I've got that to thank from you, Fish Mooney. Like actually yeah. thanking her for how he feels now yeah. after that sort of brutal act. It's like it's reawakened part of the the mobster Don in him that maybe he, he feels tending chickens and... and I suppose, thinking about retiring to the countryside that maybe he had lost. Yeah. So I love it. And I love John Doman um, and how he's done that. That, to me, again, is another standout by him. And it's just it's a quality actor. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's, he's just been fantastic, really. And this this kind of episode is something that I love uh, overall. I love where, we, where we're talking about 
the crime families and our love and we're seeing some real progression for the character of uh, of Falcone. He does not want to let, let go of the reins of power to uh, to someone like Fish Mooney. He doesn't want his city to fall to her hands. Uh, it's very evident from his original speech in the in the the, the the pilot episode with Jim Gordon that he does feel that what he does is a service to the city and keeps it from falling into the maniacs, which is incredible. But that's what he that's how he describes himself. He he would describe himself as saving the city, uh, even though he's the main crime boss. <laughs> you know, and and, and a businessman. Yeah. it's he doesn't see anything wrong. Yeah. in in what he does, and he actually, as you say. It's just another flip side to um, law and order is organized crime, yeah. and it's running a business. And anything that jeopardizes that um, is bad for business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've kind of touched on one of my other points. I, I couldn't not say it. Really, is is the death of Liza? That's that's one of my uh, one of my next points. Really, uh, I think it's it's fantastically done. It's really shocking. Like the best deaths in in TV shows are. Um, things like Walking Dead, where they kill off a character that the, the feeling you always get after a good character goes is they had so much more that they could have done in the show. Um, Liza's the same to me. I felt like her story definitely wasn't over. I felt like there was so much more that her character was supposed to do, um, especially with the auditioning by Fish and um, the the intention for her character. She clearly had some fighting ability. She clearly had some uh, tenaciousness that she was going to get the job done, whatever whatever the cost. Uh, they put her into the wrong situation, and it, it led to her death. You know, it was a bit. That's definitely a surprise for me. It definitely, uh, it definitely kind of um, it gave me a moment to pause when I saw when I saw it. I was I was gasping for breath myself after after the scene, as 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 you you joked earlier on, John. Um, the one thing I will also say that I loved the decision of the showmakers to have Liza play. Uh, Falcone's mother in the flashback sequence from earlier on, I think, was fantastic. I that yeah, was it's a really idea. interesting twist. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I thought it was a really good idea, um, but that was just one of my other one of my other points. And it was just to say, um, John Durham and Falcone says, "I remember who I am. I remember why I'm here." Mm-hmm. Like what he does is almost kind of a release from being maybe a closeted don of, of the Falcone uh, crime family, mm-hmm. where he doesn't do the dirty work anymore. And this is dirty work strangling. Um, Someone who has betrayed you, yeah, and it just awakens him again. I don't, it's a rebirth of the Don Falcone in a sense, and that that's a really um, powerful scene. And dare I say, maybe that it does. Um, it's so powerful, um, and it's such a powerful scene and a punch to the proceedings that have gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean. Do you think it elevates the episode beyond what it was previously with the the, the sort of the, the final elements of the electrocutioner and the Jack Gruber story? I mean, I kind of think it does to an extent, definitely. Oh, that, without a doubt. Without a doubt, it's almost like a, like an episode of two halves. It is it is the conclusion to the previous episode as if they just didn't have enough time to wrap it up in, in Rogue's Gallery. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, this this uh, this stuff is kind of wrapping up a lot of the season that we've seen to date. And um, part of the thing that keeps popping into my memory, or keeps popping into uh, what we've talked about in the show, was originally this was supposed to be a thirteen episode season. So next week's episode, the thirteenth episode, should have been the original finale for the show. And if it's, it, I don't know how exactly they they filmed all these episodes, but this feels like very close to the, the season finale, doesn't it? It feels like you're you're starting to wrap up the big storyline, the big overarching storyline for the Most season. Most definitely. I mean, 
I suppose actually that comes to my sort of next point, right. my third point. We're doing good segues um, tonight. Yeah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> we I, must must drink more Guinness. I think the Guinness is yeah. I think it's <laughs> lubricating the the segue yes. cogs in our brain definitely. But that's why we have so many poets in Ireland, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're not poets, the so we're not poets. We're not poets, so. no. Um, right, well, I'm not, but then I'm not Irish. That's either. true. That's very true. <laughs> um, but no, I I think it, it touches on then one of my points and my third point, which is this is a, to me, a episode of Two Hearts. You have this final element where Jack Groover is apprehended in the mm-hmm. GCPD uh, by Jim Gordon. But then I was not expecting this whole additional few scenes in Fish's Club with the Penguin being revealed to Fish Mooney as being actually um, close to Falcone. So she knows already from um, from previous episodes that he's there with Sal Maroney. Yeah. But nobody, because at the end of Penguin's Umbrella, nobody knows that actually Falcone and Oswald have this relationship, yeah. this secret relationship um, from anyone else. You get a hint where Maroney gets suspicious because of um, uh, Oswald getting electrocuted. Yep. But now we have that big reveal to Fish Mooney. This is why I know, essentially, is what Falcone is throwing down to, to Fish Mooney. Um, this is how I know you've betrayed me. Um, is because of, you know, and drum roll, draw back the curtains kind of thing, mm-hmm. and in walks her greatest nemesis or thorn in in the side uh, for her, which is Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah. And he is sort of, you know, introduced as the penguin, revealed to the fish as the penguin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that great play on, you know, penguin rising... What eats fish but penguins? Mm-hmm. And for me, this is it elevates the episode with with this whole um, storyline and with the scenes. And I jotted down coming back to why we segued into this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, was it felt a bit like a mid season finale? It felt right, a right. bit like episode seven, the Penguin's Umbrella, or you get this great reveal that Falcone and Penguin are working together, and now you get the fruits of that little secret that we've had with the writers, with the reveal to Fish, that not only is Penguin alive, but he's working for your boss. Yeah, yeah. And little did you know that your schemes to usurp and control your boss and his crime empire have all kind of been undermined all the way through by Penguin, whether it's infiltrating her replacement of Oswald. Was it Timothy who was came to yeah. an unfortunate end upside down with a knife in the stomach? Or whether it's that Oswald has latched on to Liza and is essentially now giving her instruction. All of this um, is great. And the payback is brilliant, I think. And That's... For me, this is... Um, it, it, it's a, an episode of two halves almost, as well as being sort of a, par- a two-parter in relation to the Rose Gallery previously. Yeah, yeah. yeah it but... all comes to a nice bubbling conclusion with these scenes, and it's it's great. I loved it because it was unexpected. I must yeah. say, 
Yeah, no, totally, totally agree with you. That's it. That's definitely a fantastic twist in the show. Um, kind of, <laughs> we are totally segueing together tonight. It's really good. Um, because for me, just uh, you mentioned the electrocutioner side of it, and the electrocutioner is something for this episode that's obviously really stand out for me. I said last week, Jack Gruber's character is something I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed how they played him last week. Um, I loved how they did the opening, as I mentioned earlier on. And I loved the first scene uh, with the electrocutioner going back to retrieve his stuff from um, from the uh, it, where where he used to store it. Essentially, I loved that the attack and the murder of the uh, of the person at the door. I thought that was fantastic, really, really well done. What I didn't like is how quickly he was dispatched by Jim Gordon. Uh, you know, he get, he goes to the GCPD, he electrocutes everybody. Has a a great line of um, I expected more oomph. These people have just uh, these people have just been knocked out. I thought they were going to fry. Um, you know, I liked that little bit. Yeah, but quickly on that, that presumably means that the whole of the GCPD is made of metal. Like the precinct, <laughs> that the flooring is made of like metal. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It is possible. You have a bit of iron girders underneath the floors and above. You know, you see them. See them on the wall. A lot of a lot of metal around. But yes, it's it, it is unbelievable. Firstly. Uh, that he'd be able to knock out everybody except for the two people wearing uh, galoshes. Oh, one person wearing galoshes. Who then picks up a glass of water and throws it on him. I don't know. I, I, I think it's one of the weaker elements of this this episode. And it's, Definitely. It's a pity that they stretched it into a two-parter and then that was the end of, of Jack. But the important part to remember is the last episode of Rogue's Gallery. We mentioned on our earlier podcast that uh, they're setting this character up as a rogue for Jim Gordon. He's not dead. He's just arrested. So he could absolutely come back at a later stage. Um, yeah, he'll get thrown back into Arkham Asylum mm. and come back again. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. I was reading a, uh, a, a kind of a prequel comic to the next Arkham game, um, where the character of the Electrocutioner actually appears in that in that comic. It's a, it's a little uh, ninety nine cent digital comic that they're doing at the moment. The character of the Electrocutioner is uh, attacks Batman in the in that comic. And it's taken out probably just as easy as Jim Gordon takes out the Electrocutioner. So uh, I don't know whether the Electrocutioner should last a long time. He keeps getting taken out very quickly uh, as a character. But uh, but yeah, in this episode, I just thought it was a bit um, it was a bit of a, a simple way to dispatch a character that was quite central to last week's episode. Yeah. Well, here's another thing that was too quickly done, I think, as well. And mm. this segues beautifully <laughs> into my going. next point. Oh my goodness, this is like. Ding, ding, ding. This is like three three times on the run now that we've got a Tag in an great segue. But I think one of the other things that was done too quickly, which unfortunately maybe this episode have, and this this really is my only sort of negative of this, um, and it's, it's less to do with the episode. I actually think how it was done was fine. I just think it was too soon, and that was uh, Jim's return to the GCPD. It was fine for the episode. It's just the fact that He's only been um, a guard at Arkham for one episode, and now, by the end of this episode, he's been reinstated, courtesy of the commissioner, back into, um, as a detective, into the GCPD. And you kind of do think, well, would the mayor not have something to say about that? Um, You know, you don't really see any backroom kind of machinations that are going on as to why maybe the mayor has capitulated and said, "Okay, Commissioner, yeah, let him in. You know, there's something hanging over him or something there. Mm -hmm. But I just think I would like to have seen Jim spend a bit more time at Arkham, given how well I think they dealt with him being at Arkham 
um, in Rose Gallery. You know, it worked, that dynamic between him and Harvey for that episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was like, it was difficult to think how they could do that for maybe five or six episodes. And remember, there's no prisoners inside there anymore, so they've all been released. <laughs> so, that is true. So he probably doesn't have a job to go back to, but I, I presume they're going to capture them and bring well, them back. You could have done one where he was rounding them up, where yeah. he would be back again in contact with Harvey. Yeah. And so it would extend this a bit, and I think it's a bit of a shame because it kind of makes what happened in Lovecraft a bit less meaningful, Yeah. I think. I agree, and I think it probably hits us harder because we're waiting three months to find out what happened yeah, in, yeah. in Arkham Asylum, you know, we waited that long, and what happened in Arkham Asylum was, uh, well, some people were murdered, and Jim found out who it was, and then he got his job back. Uh, that's what happened in Arkham. So it's a bit of a a bit of a pity, and I know what you mean. It feels so rushed. And I mean, on some of the round tables that we had been talking about, sort of the one that we had had with um, with Chris and Irene at uh, mm-hmm. the European round table, only um, a few episodes ago, episode thirty five. So you can check that out, obviously, um, on our website. Um, but also the roundtable with Legends of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Then I had had some thoughts about, well, you know, how are they going to deal with the fact that the two central partnership characters of Harvey and Jim have now been separated? Mm-hmm. How is that going to work? And, you know, I kind of postulated, wouldn't it be nice maybe to see um, Harvey work with... Um, the MCU with uh, Christmas Allen and Renny Montoya, mm-hmm. something like that, um, or even with um, you know he gets partnered up maybe with uh, Alvarez or something like that, mm-hmm. and just see that dynamic, see him become a bit more uh, boisterous, a bit more obnoxious because he's back with a new kind of rookie um, or you know wet behind the ears kind of detective or something like that, yeah. whilst trying to sort of get Jim back into the GCPD. Mm-hmm. So in itself, I actually liked how Jim got back in to being a detective in the GCPD. I just thought it was too soon. Yes, no, I definitely agree with you on that point. It's uh, it just felt it, it felt too quick, and I felt like there were so many more opportunities to explore the characters. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, perhaps again, as I said, maybe it's because we waited three months for it, but it did feel like they had so much more that they could have done with the characters there. Um, so no segue here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, I, I just wanted to mention Dr. Leslie Tompkins in this episode. I really enjoy how they've de- how they've dealt with her. You know, she's really starting to. You're you're able to see why Jim would fall for the character, not only because she is the beautiful Marina Vakarin. It's not really hard to imagine why anybody would fall for for her, but the character herself is a really strong character. She seems like a good foil for Jim. Um, she has a reason for being in the GCPD. She has a reason for coming to Jim because she's the one that discovers that uh, that Gruber's target is Sal Maroney, so she knows exactly where to go to uh, to give this information to. Um, and then, yeah, their kiss at the end of the episode feels like there's some real chemistry between the two of them. It feels that like there is a, a good little bit of passion. I love, if you notice, when, when Jim reaches over and kisses her for the first time, there's a smile that comes in her face just before the kiss and that you feel that she's she knows she's reeled in her, uh, her, her lover finally kind of thing. She's tried hard with a lot of flirting in the first episode that we talked about earlier on, and now she's got Jim, and she's not going to let him go, I think. So that's going to be quite interesting. Um, I think just on... I, I, I agree. I think um, that kiss or that snog at the, right at the <laughs> end in the locker room, that is... It comes across as really passionate. Mm. It's, um, it's almost 
um, off the cuff as well. It's in the men's locker room of the GCPD. She's obviously uh, got confidence to to be able to to pull that off. And for for Jim's character, it really and um, well and truly kind of moves him on from Barbara by mm. being that passionate uh, with her. That's one of the other things I like about that whole scene is that it adds a nice contrast to to Barbara's scenes in this episode that build on from the Rogues Gallery um, episode and her sort of uh, split and the coming to an end of the relationship between Rene Montoya and Barbara Keane. Mm -hmm. Whereas Barbara then, having no one left um, in the form of Rene Montoya, she's phoned up her apartment to see if Jim is there and has only gotten... Uh, onto Ivy Pepper, who has pretended she's seeing Jim. She puts on the older, um, the older woman's voice, as we said in in the last episode. That she heads to her parents to find that sort of safety net and that that comfort um, as well. And and you see this relationship between her and her parents, who only allow her to stay for the weekend. It's yeah. very distant. It seems very frosty and prickly, um, as though they've almost disowned her in, in, in all but name really and inheritance and inheritance yeah <laughs> yeah i know it's it's a really sad scene and i did mention it earlier on in the other episode that that uh that you can tell that that barbara's falling you know and there's a real indication that things are going to go bad for this character she's um she's not getting any help anywhere she goes to even her own parents will only let her stay for a couple of days as you said it's a it's a it's a tough old tough old road for barbara yeah, and the whole toxic element that Ray Montoya talked about in, in the last episode, that their relationship was toxic, we see here just maybe partly what Ray Montoya meant by that, which is, you know, Barbara lies directly to her parents about her her um, current situation and status with, with Jim, that mm. they're both very happy when it, it, it's over. And yeah. it, it hints at maybe what Rene, um was talking about, which is, there's too many lies creeping into this relationship as it yeah. did previously, and so there's that element to it as well. I but do you think her parents would care? Like in in a way, I I look at it as her parents just just don't care enough. They just want to hear the general platitudes. Yeah, I'm doing fine. It's grand. Don't worry about it. Which is what Barbara's Barbara's spouting here. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm just I just need a break for a couple of days. There's no point in going into the whole thing because her parents won't have any actual conversation about the sad times in her life. Her parents just want her to, to just say she's happy and she's married, basically, and that's it. Um, that's how it feels like. It doesn't feel like one of those lies that she's telling. She's not trying to cover up the fact that herself and Jim are broken up. It doesn't feel like she can tell her parents those kind of things. That's the last place she's gone to after all the, after all the other people she's searched out. The last place she's gone to is her parents. So why would she tell them something as private as what's happened in her relationship is the way it kind of mm -hmm. kind of yeah. hit me but back to leslie Tompkins, just the other the other thing as you pointed out the ryan from the oc uh, uh vest has worked once again and um, you know get him get him in a vest and he can get any woman he possibly uh, he wants if a man wears a white vest he obviously can um be very successful with the ladies yeah apparently apparently um, yeah, obviously is a nice little touch or reference i don't know whether it is a deliberate reference to obviously uh, Ben McKenzie's role in the OC. I'm, I'm it certain be, it but... is. I'm certain it is. I think I even saw uh, at the time. It's been a while now, but I even saw at the time Ben McKenzie saying, "I'm back in the old white one" um, on Twitter. So, uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's well aware of his uh, of his status. 
Um, well, my final point is we get the introduction of Commissioner Loeb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Commissioner, played by Peter Scolari. And it's really good to see him. And I think there's a number of reasons why I think this is important. Mm. Firstly, um, coming back to maybe uh, my first point about Edward Nigma's um, exchanges on this episode, um, we see in the record room uh, between Edward Nigma and Christine Kringle, we see, I believe, the introduction of um, and first glimpse of Detective Flass mm. in the record room. And so we suddenly have in this episode the purring from Batman Year One, Commissioner Loeb, mm-hmm. and Detective Flass, who are, you know, the purring in Year One, which is all about bringing down Jim Gordon, Jim Gordon. who has who has come and entered into the GCPD. And, you know, we reviewed um, Year One back um one of our, I think it was third or fourth podcasts that we did, mm-hmm. and we reviewed the the animated movie of Batman Year One. Mm-hmm. Ben McKenzie plays Batman. That's right. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So a really nice little tie-in here where we have two of Jim Gordon's biggest foes in Commissioner Loeb and Detective Flash being introduced. But I think in particular... The Commissioner, it kind of brings that political element to the show, a bit like Captain Essen does. And, you know, we have Commissioner Loeb here, and it, it all relates to the panic in the high ranks and um, that Arkham is, is failing. That's why he's been brought in. That's why he's had to come down to the precinct, you know, make that appearance to kind of uh, rally the, the troops and so on. But... But him and Jim obviously are like loggerheads. They just um, do not see eye to eye. But he gives him, and uh, it feels like an olive branch, but it's probably, you won't do this at all. You won't capture Jack Gruber. But Commissioner gives him 24 hours to bring back um, into custody Jack Gruber, the electrocutioner. Um, and if he does, he will reinstate him as a detective in the GCPD. And if he doesn't, back to Arkham he goes. And it's really just, it's a nice little introduction for the commissioner. It shows the sort of tension between these two characters. It adds then and makes, I think, a nice little reference to Batman Year One with having Flass there as well as Commissioner Lowe being uh, Jim's two main kind of, I suppose, threats or nemesis in the GCPD. And you see Jim really get riled up with the introduction of, of Commissioner Loeb. It's quite threatening about if his badge is ever taken from him again, um, how he will cause trouble. Yeah. It, it's a really good, sort of uncomfortable kind of relationship between the two, and I, I really liked him. And then in the same way, you've got Commissioner Loeb saying, you know, where do you get this rebellious fire in your belly? Your father wasn't like that. He was the DA, you know, so he obviously bended the knee to to people like uh, like Commissioner Loeb. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, really interesting. One one little uh, little interesting touch, the the actor that played him, played him Peter Scolari. Yeah. Um, he did a, did a voice on uh, on Batman Brave and the Bold. He played uh, Ray Palmer, who is the Atom. Okay. Yeah, and that character appears on the Arrow at the moment, uh, played by Brandon Routh, another DC uh, character. Who was Superman? Who was Superman? Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so the actor Very has worked incestuous, in, isn't it? it really, is. all the, this. The Warner Brothers DC universe has a load of actors who 
played parts in the past, as we said, Ben McKenzie in Batman Year One. Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's there's quite some interesting uh, connections there. Um, but yeah, a really good introduction to the character. I particularly like Flash because when we talked about uh, Batman Year One, not knowing much about Gotham at the time, we had made the kind of guess that Harvey Bullock's character would be very like Detective Flash in Batman Year One. Um, he's a very gruff, uh, rough and ready cop um, who doesn't like Jim Gordon at all. And you can tell already in the way this guy is introduced, he's an arrogant guy. He's um, he's got everything. Um, he's he's really uh, really annoying character already. I, I just like him though. And in year one in the animated movie, he gets a serious beatdown by Jim Gordon. That's right. And um, so I it'll be interesting now to see whether that will happen here because some of Jim's fights, particularly in like the mask and in a few other episodes. I think one of the great things that Ben McKenzie brings to Jim Gordon is that physicality in the fighting sequences. Absolutely. You really feel as though you're getting punched by Jim Gordon in those scenes, and that's really good. And I just wonder whether we will see that kind of fighting um, action sequence between the two at some later date. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, that's, uh, that's kind of it for the top five, I think. John, do you have any notes that you want to talk about? And one of the things, and you you mentioned about the music, obviously Johnny Cash, um, there with with uh, the music uh, opening up the episode. Mm-hmm. I must say, I really enjoyed as Oswald the Penguin is revealed to Fish Mooney in her own club. I love the music that is played there, um, it, it's just so evocative of the Penguin of that kind of waddle. Um, almost a bit Charlie Chaplin-esque, I think, in t- in terms of how that music is. Uh, and that coupled with the whole scene, um, just with Oswald's grinning, smiley face, yeah. uh, really just sucks it to, um, to Fish Mooney. It's a real great payback scene. But it, it kind of starts with the hub of this music playing as he kind of waddles out as a penguin should do. I, I thought that was a really good scene. It's one of the scenes, and it's kind of one of my just final kind of notes. Right. I just loved that scene. I thought right. it was really little, neat, um, and it all kind of tied and worked so nicely. Yeah. It's just because so often we see the penguin, I think, as we said last, uh, for the last episode, you know, he feels he's doing something absolutely that he should be proud of, and so on. And he gets punched in the face, or he gets slapped, <laughs> or he gets his face planted into a table. This time, there's none of that. It is triumphant, in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's it's also the fact that in Rose Gallery, he's introduced into the club, and it's the penguin coming in. It is that this time, it's a successful entrance of yeah. the penguin. I am the penguin. I love that little scene. I thought it was very neat. And I do like, in, you know, in reference to the name of the show, I like that Moroni says that what the there's something a little bird told me. And um, you know, I like I like that the reference is specifically stated about the penguin, who is the little bird. You know, that's that that this name is sticking definitely. Yeah. this name is going to last forever. Uh, my only note really is is also about uh, about Oswald. Yeah, this the scene where he gets electrocuted and says that he has to go for a meeting with uh, Falcone is terrible <laughs> it's awful uh it, it instantly made me think of a uh, of a of a i'll call them a, a viewer theory and not a fan theory but a viewer theory where they essentially think that gotham is going to lead into batman 66 
Um, okay. Yeah, which which it instantly made me, made me think of that. I, I've I've probably been of the two of us. I've probably been the one that's disliked the uh, the sillier aspects of the show, particularly when it's completely unbelievably silly. Um, you've been a little bit more accepting of those in the past, but the scene where uh, where he gets electrocuted and 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 reveals his whole plot to the one person that uh, will kill him for revealing that plot, I think it's awfully done and really badly done, and feels like something that. It could be a precursor to, not even part of the Batman 66 series, a precursor to it. Mm, interesting. I must say, I didn't I didn't particularly like that scene. I thought um, it was one of those scenes where I think if you'd just been electrocuted, you'd just be knocked out and mm. you'd revive slowly. I also thought that, well, you wouldn't take him to the GCPD, but you'd take him to hospital. So, I mean, there were elements very to true. that whole scene that was kind of very unbelievable mm. as well. Um, I didn't care much for the fact that he kind of announced that he was going to go and see Falcone. I didn't think that was necessary. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. I also thought it was equally unbelievable that he didn't go to hospital. <laughs> so, I think there are those things that sometimes do let down aspects of this. But overall... I thought this was a good episode. Yeah. It did have a feel with the whole scene in Fish's bar, with the whole um, sort of Fish uh, revealing her hand. Was it too early? Wasn't it? Um, all that was excellent, I think. And the opening, as you say, with the, the music, it was really evocative. And for me, this was a really good episode. I think it was apart from a few minor wobbles, was really solid as well, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I think this is one of the best episodes that we've had uh, for, for quite a while. Three months, at least. But <laughs> but uh, but no, I really enjoyed it, and I think the, the shocking finale with the with the death of Eliza, who I, who I totally expected to last the full season, I expected her to have a much bigger hand, be a much stronger character. Um, it's unfortunate, I, I think. I think there, there's there was a place for another really strong female in the show um someone that could have become a, a someone that could have played a big part in uh, in taking down uh, Falcone and he's not going down without a fight and that's what we saw in this episode so i i still think it was very good um i just think it's a pity i think she was a she was a great actress and i would like to see more of that character but that's that's what you always say about a character that dies in the show, I suppose. So. But I think that's what makes it more shocking. Yeah. And again, it was from left field. And that, to me, was one of the powerful um, aspects of that scene. And for this episode was out of left field came a really shocking and brutal um, end to a character that you thought was going to be... Um, much more significant and mm -hmm. in the end in the scheme of gotham these people are played like pawns by i probably should say prawns as well given fish <laughs> and penguins everywhere but these people are played like pawns on a chess table by the big players mm -hmm. whether it is falcone fish moroni commissioner Loeb, the mayor later on whether it is batman the joker these people um are are kind of pawns on the table to be moved around and that was her fate ultimately so i really enjoyed it and but i i understand what you're saying definitely mm -hmm. so on to some news that we held back from episode 11 mm. 
little snippet of news here in episode 12. And um, we just kind of wanted to highlight that um, on the 15th of March, so the Sunday just gone, there was a, uh, a live interview um, held on stage it by Robin Lord Taylor, hosted by Aaron Richards, who plays Barbara Keane, um, and involving uh, Global Citizen, which is um, a charity organization. Mm-hmm. And they were there to talk about the Live Below the Line um, challenge, which is essentially living on, I think it was $1.50 or £1 sterling or €1.50 um, for a day, each day. Those exchange rates may not be accurate. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, and uh, you live on on that amount each day. Um, and it's to raise awareness and to raise funds for um, extreme poverty and people in the world who live below the extreme poverty line. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really interesting um, live-hosted uh, event by, by Stagets and Global Citizen and Erin uh, Richards. And not only did they talk about that, um, challenge and, and that whole charity um, run by Global Citizen. But there was also questions um, on Gotham and there were a number of fans there, including ourselves, who were there and posted a few questions. And I do know that, you know, one of our, our questions that we sent through on Twitter about asking them what their best experience or moments were on Gotham uh, was answered. And I thought that was kind of quite interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. Aaron Richards was talking about the read-through and that kind of technical side of it where everyone gets together. And sometimes you can be sandwiched between um, two people who have the dialogue parts. Um, I think she gave an example where there was uh, Ben McKenzie and Robin Lord Taylor either side of her. And they mm-hmm. were kind of uh, rehearsing their piece across from her. And it sounded like it sounded like good fun. It sounded like, you know, she was explaining how this was one of the big rehearsal points that they have um, each week. Okay, I think Robin Lord Taylor said they may do rehearsals just off camera before they start the scene, but these read-throughs that they do of the script is the big moment where they can do some uh, large amounts of rehearsal time for the actual episode. So it's a really nice little... Um, point that she raised which is something different than what you would normally hear i think yeah definitely and it was really good fun to interact with the other fans that were there uh watching the uh watching the interview it's a it was a live interview not to be broadcast again apparently um but yeah some really good uh, really good fun stuff in there um the below the line challenge as john mentioned is where you live on one dollar fifty per day um to cover your entire food bill erin richards actually took the challenge last week while she was recording some of her final scenes for for gotham uh, and mentioned the fact that she does have a big fight scene coming up in her final episode, which I thought was uh, thought was a nice, interesting point after being, I suppose, uh, starving for an entire week um, on the Blood yeah, Line yeah. Challenge. Yeah. Um, so that sounded quite interesting, but a nice little reveal. She couldn't reveal who she was fighting against, but she does say it is a, a physical fight. So I'm wondering if there's even more trouble for Kitoya coming up towards the end of the season. And she did hint at a renewal or a rebirth of, of Barbara uh, as well. So that would be interesting to see in what context that means, whether mm-hmm. she loses this drug addiction and that she seems to have plummeted back into. So all of this was really interesting. Um, and it was great to see so many people there interacting on on the live chat function uh, and interacting with um, Robin Lord Taylor, Erin uh, Richards, and the chap from Global System, which I can't unfortunately remember his name now, right. um, an Australian guy. So thank you so much for, for hosting that. That was a really uh, nice um, way into Gotham, but also to um, raising awareness of this um, 
extreme poverty in the world and so if you want to um, investigate aspects of this or even um, get involved with live below the line you can go to www.livebelowtheline.com and you can check it out and see whether you want to take part in it and, and support that charity yeah yeah definitely it sounds like a really good charity and again the point that was made was that this is something we can fix over the next 30 years if we continue to work on it so um so a really good charity on to feedback for episode 12 fascinating Point well made, I think. So we have some more feedback from Daniel Butcher on episode 12. So Daniel says, well, that escalated quickly. Uh, how about the use of traditional comedic actors in dramatic roles? First, we got Richard Kind, who's well known from Spin City as a, as a very comedic actor. And now Peter Scolari is nailing it as uh, Commissioner Loeb. Peter Scolari is very well known in the US as being part of uh, of New Heart, which was a, a comedy show in the early 80s. And Daniel says, uh, man, it really shows the thin line between drama and comedy. I totally agree. I think Peter Scolari is really good in this part uh, of, of Commissioner Loeb. I think it was really a, a good little interplay between himself and Jim Gordon in this episode. And again, the characters they're putting up against Jim Gordon seem to be comedic actors and seem to be really pulling off the drama really well. Yeah, I mean, it's really menacing. He's he's pretty stern, pretty uh, uncompromising look on his face, um, and it's the same with the with the mayor, um, with Richard Kind, um, as he was demoting uh, Jim Gordon as well. Mm-hmm. You know, really, um, a, a hard, stern sort of unemotive face as they deliver kind of killer blows or mm-hmm. or killer lines like you know, you're demoted out of here or you have 24 hours to find Jack Gruber, mm-hmm. you know. So it's really good. And I suppose, yeah, that thin line between comedy and, and drama, you think of people like Peter Sellers, who who was obviously a huge uh, comedian in the UK and a comedic actor. Think of his roles as in Pink Panther, <laughs> as uh, Detective Clouseau and... Um, and you also then see him in, you know, semi-comedic roles such as um, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove, where, you know, he is the comic relief to a a, a much um, more serious uh, theme and, and message behind that film. Mm. And you can, you see it so many times. You saw it with um, Jim Carrey playing serious roles mm-hmm. such as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yep. Um, you know, a whole host of other comedy actors Absolutely. who have moved into serious roles which have... Ultimately, kind of made you go, wow, that's amazing. That's really sort of um, different, really significant in terms of the role that they're playing. Absolutely. And even Adam Sandler had a uh, had one good role in a drama as well, <laughs> um, which I can't remember the name of right now, but sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure people will remember it. I think as well, it did escalate quickly. Um, I must say, I think for the episode, it was a surprise. I was saying about how it was an episode of Two Halves. I wasn't expecting to see um, such a um, brutal ending to Eliza in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought her her cards were on the table, really, but I didn't think it was going to be in that episode at that moment. And that did escalate quickly. But I suppose once someone makes their move uh, and seizes the opportunity, which obviously Fish had done, given that in the previous episode in Rose Gallery, she had been approached by two other members of... Um, Falcone's crime family about taking over and obviously we saw what happened to to them at the hands of Butch Gilzean but um you know it was time to act and to move to seize the day mm-hmm. 
in that sense. Carpe diem. But definitely, it escalated Seize. quickly. Carpe diem. Seize the throat. Um, so one final bit from, uh, from Daniel. He says, again, talk about an episode cliffhanger, which is, as, as John said, yeah, an excellent, excellent cliffhanger. I mean, seriously, Jim and Tompkins are in the edge. So yeah, he's, uh, he's fascinated by that relationship. Uh, thanks very much, Agent Daniel. Go check out Welcome to Level 7 for, uh, for a really good podcast about Agents of Shield, if you're interested in that show. Absolutely. And thanks for your feedback again, Daniel. We have a bit more f- feedback on episode 12 from Twitter. Um, it seemed like I think everybody was in shock that we were finally seeing a live episode of Gotham uh, last <laughs> night. So they didn't start talking until the second episode. Um, but our first piece of feedback was uh, was from uh, Psych DK at Dawn uh, on Twitter, who said, uh, "With Oswald's as always two limps forward and five scampering steps backward to lick his wounds." Absolutely. Um, I think we've mentioned about that whole thing of two steps forward and. Um, one step back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with Psych uh, DK from Denmark. Uh, we saw you there on the um, Stage It uh, fan thing mm-hmm. um, with Aaron Richards and Robin Lord-Taylor. But definitely, um, you know, every time he's puffing out his chest like a good old penguin is, he seems to get hit, slapped, mm-hmm. punched, something pushed into his face. But he still comes out with a smile. I mean, he goes through the ringer, definitely. You know, but I think as Julia Morgan says as well uh, on this point, with Oswald, it's always be very nice to him or forever watch your back. He does <laughs> not forget. Um, he really does not forget. Yeah. Yeah, and we also got from Anna Godino. Uh, she says, "Rivers of blood." Yep, that's what you'll get. And um, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of Robin or Taylor fans uh, on there. Site uh, DK as well also um, mentioned the fantastic plea from um, Victor Zaz to Falcone. Um, she just said, I love that scene. His style, the way he speaks, it's so well done. Perfection. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it was one of those real, almost like an intimate moment between, it's almost like father-son type of thing between yeah. um, two two guys there. Really intimate. The plea was just done so um, so well. Um, we're totally on board with you there. We thought it was a great scene too. Mm-hmm. And then just talking about the uh, the cup of water to uh, that destroyed the electrocutioner, as we as we mentioned earlier on in the episode. Um, Don responded with, "That's got to be the most anticlimactic ending ever." Hilarious. Uh, Gotham on Five came back with, uh, "Not the end just yet." Um, and Anna Godino says, "Safety comes first, you silly electrocutioner." Yeah, absolutely. I suspect he's going to be uh, banged up um, again into Arkham for for all of this. But this time officially. Yeah, (laughs) officially. And maybe then we haven't seen the last of of this rogue from uh, Jim's Rogue's Gallery. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And our final piece of feedback from Twitter came from Mrs. Cobblepot. Yeah. Fantastically um, named Mrs. Cobblepot. Exactly. Um, You know, as always, with great episodes featuring Oswald Cobblebot, there's always a good woman behind um, their their man. And in this sense, Mrs. Cobblepot uh, coming in to say how you have no idea how happy it makes me to see our UK friends so excited. This is glorious um, to ourselves and Gotham fans UK uh, and to Gotham on 5. And she's right. It is great that it's back on TV. Mm-hmm. It's great that we can now podcast on a weekly basis. It's like 
Yay, hooray. You know, it is three Absolutely. months and it felt like three months. It is three months exactly. That's right. We last published on the 17th of December our final um, episode uh, discussion and chat on Lovecraft. We've done stuff in between. And now um, today, 17th of March, we are podcasting again on St. Patrick's Day with Guinness um, bacon butties um, and or bacon baps, I should say, um, and it's great. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. delighted to be back. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV Podcast. You can also email us your feedback to feedback at Gotham TV Podcast dot com. And of course, all the people who we've discussed um, both in this episode, episode twelve, um, and also the previous episode, episode eleven. They will all go into the hat for the competition to win the Oswald Cobblepot print by Christopher Uminga. Again, if you want to enter, it's open to all. Um, all you need to do is provide feedback or comments that we discuss on air. Or you can leave a review for us on iTunes at gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Leave a review there and we'll pick it up and you will also enter into the hat for this print, and some other Gotham goodies that we're, we're keeping stum about at the moment. Excellent. Thanks very much, as always, for listening. Thank you so much for listening. And it's awesome to say to, to you as listeners, but we will be back again next week. Isn't that great? Yeah. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye now. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Gotham TV Podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya <laughs> it's also known as a wife beater in the UK. In the UK, a pint of Stella and a uh, and a, a, a white, a white vest. vest is is not a not a good uh, a good thing, regardless of the reassuring, the expensive tag that Stella has. Um, anyway, right? Let's let's uh, that's a little inside baseball. Let's segue away from that yes. now um, yep. fairly quickly. <laughs>